You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to Apple Insider Podcast. This is episode 118. I'm your host, Victor Marks, and joining me is our editor-in-chief, Neil Hughes. Hey, Victor. How's it going? It's amazing. And you know, Neil, we've got this event coming up that we were just talking about before we started recording. You know, this is this is a new one for us. We've never held an event quite like this before. But Daniel Dilger, I, and, and you will also be present, I understand. Uh, Dan and I are going to be speaking at Adorama's flagship store in New York City to talk with professional Apple users, discuss the current state of Apple's high-end hardware, and, and join us. You know, we should have any of our listeners who are in the New York area Please feel free to come to Adorama's flagship store and uh, discuss, join us for discussion, uh, refreshments, and a chance to win great prizes like a brand new 9.7-inch iPad. We're going to be doing this. Yeah, it's exciting. It's a, a cool event, I think, um, and a good opportunity uh, for people from the community to kind of come together and uh, and meet some of the folks behind Apple Insider and meet one another and talk. You know, Adorama is a great partner of Apple Insider, and uh, they reached out to us and asked if we wanted to do an event in their space. They have a beautiful store in Manhattan with a great dedicated Apple area. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it, it's one of those things where we talked about it and decided what do we want to talk about. And, and uh, the pro users seemed relevant not only because of what Adorama does, um, you know, focusing on those types of users, but also Mac's, uh, recent Mac announcements, the Mac Pro, iMac uh, that Apple has made. Um, so it seemed relevant and like a good thing to talk about. So the of course on is of course on on Monday May first at six p.m. Uh, at Adorama's store at forty two West Eighteenth Street between Fifth and Sixth Avenues. And uh, please come. There's a uh, registration on an official Eventbrite page that we'll link to in the show notes. Getting right into things. Let's see here, my first story that I had was about Apple working on person to person payment transfer systems to compete. Yeah, this with, is something uh, that's been rumored for. There's, this has been rumored for a few years, um, dating back to, I think, 2015 even. Um, you know, it's logical. It seems to make a lot of sense. Um, it seems to be kind of a no-brainer that Apple would do this. Um, you know, all you have to do is think about what is done with Apple Pay and apply that same technology and convenience to peer-to-peer money transfers. Uh, you think about how frictionless things like Venmo are and Square Cash and what have you. Uh, freely transferring money. Uh, these services are interesting because it's not an area where Apple's going to get rich. In fact, they'll probably lose money on it, but it's a way to get people into the ecosystem. And so if Apple wants people to have their credit cards in there for buying stuff on iTunes, buying stuff from the Apple Store, using Apple Pay at a merchant, this is a way to get people to insert their credit card information into their iPhone for those services, then it all just kind of works. Um, so th- that's why you see banks and, and other uh, uh, organizations are, are really pushing this peer-to-peer payment transfer because uh, one of the big markets that they want to reach are millennials, uh, you know, folks under the age of 35 or so who a lot of them don't have bank accounts, uh, don't necessarily have credit cards, and they're harder to reach and they are the quote unquote underbanked. Um, And so this is an opportunity for Apple to uh, address that market and maybe hook them into their ecosystem a little bit. You know, we've we've used PayPal for years to do person-to-person transfers for, you know, items purchased over forums or classifieds kind of things. And it's 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 PayPal was cemented in people's minds as being the preferred purchase method for eBay when eBay owned PayPal. And mm-hmm. that's what I really wanted out of Apple Pay was an easy way to replace PayPal. Right. And and have, being able to use it at four or five stores, which which the number is growing, but it's still a limited number of stores, right? Uh, is nice, but being able to to do it for person to person transfers as well really cements it for me. The 
you know, when, when people are setting up these kinds of things, they'll take PayPal, they'll take uh, Google payments sometimes, Square occasionally. But if you can just say, yeah, I've got an iPhone and we'll do it by Apple Pay, it's done. That's that's going to be a game changer in terms of the number of people using it, I think. I actually had a very weird interaction with Venmo last week. I don't use Venmo a lot. I've, I've used it on occasion. I've actually been scammed on Venmo as well, uh, and we've talked about that before. Uh, for those of you who don't know, don't accept money from people on Venmo if you don't know them, because the money may not actually be there. You should only use it for people you know. Anyhow, last week, um, I... Uh, got a random transfer of uh, like $25 or something on Venmo from a woman that I didn't know. I'd never heard of who she was. And so I thought, well, maybe it's a scam or whatever. And then she sent me a message about five minutes afterwards. And she's like, uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I don't know who you are. I typed in the wrong username and I sent you this money. She's like, I'm a poor college student. Can you transfer me back the $25? And having been ripped off by Venmo before, I was a little bit skeptical. And so I looked into the terms of service and in their, in their Q&A or whatever on there, it says, if somebody mistakenly transfers you money, just transfer the money back. And it's like, well, wait a minute, I'm scratching my head. I know that when people transfer you money, it's not necessarily sitting in your account, in the account. It takes three days to, to show up. And all right, that. it has to clear. And so, you, yeah, and so you can get screwed that way. So um, I reached out to Venmo customer service then, and I said, listen, I'm not going to do this. I've been ripped off before. And then quickly, Venmo customer service is like, oh, okay, we'll just, we'll take care of it on our end. Uh, and they took care of it and gave this woman her money back. But yeah, she sent me a message. She's like, I'm a poor college student. Please just send me back $25. I don't know if it was a scam or not. It seemed genuine to me. She got her money back. Everybody's happy. But yeah, like I said, I don't use Venmo that much, but I thought it was interesting. Right. I, I don't use Venmo. Well, I've, I've never had occasion to use Venmo because Venmo, it seems to me, is popular in large cities. It's it's one of those things that happens in New York. It's one of those things that happens in San Francisco. It's it's popular amongst kids too, um, college kids. It's very popular with, um, and that's really where they kind of cut their teeth. Hmm. I uh, I had a fellow asking me to take Venmo last week, and I, I countered with Square, and and that's what we used in the end. Yeah, yeah. I, I looked into all the payment services years ago because uh, a friend of mine unfortunately found himself kind of on hard times. Uh, he'd been hit by a flood and. We were trying to raise some money, but we didn't want to do it in an embarrassing, you know, open a GoFundMe type page where you like tell your sad story or whatever. I just wanted to keep it kind of low key and just text the information around to people. And I looked into it and Square Cash was by far the easiest way to do it. You just entered in your debit card number, the money transferred, there were no fees, nothing. He didn't even have to have an account set up. You could just send it to his email address and then he could go and all the money would be sitting there waiting whenever he signed up. Um, and it was very easy to use. Um, so in my experience, Square Cash is the easiest of them, but I know Venmo is the most popular option out there. But I think it'll be nice when Apple gets into that space for people, you know, once again, things that tie you more into the Apple ecosystem. If you're on iMessage, if you're on iPhone uh, and you want to transfer money easily, it'd be a great way to do it. And it's one of those things where a Apple has people who are willing to adopt these things because they come from Apple. You know, there's the I'm, I'm going to not get this right, but I was looking the other day and it's something like Apple has 34 percent of the smartphone market in the U.S. And so that's 34 percent of people who can or 34 percent of smartphone users who can jump on board and adopt that kind of thing where for all of aggressive. the competing. Right. And for all of the competing phones. You know, that's a mishmash of services, whether it's Android Pay or Samsung's Pay or whatever option else is out there. Um, having that that groundswell of, of users using consistent platform and who aggressively adopt, like you say, 
means that we're going to see this, this start working. What I found very interesting in this story uh, that, that came out uh, today it, is that Apple is apparently also in talks with uh, MasterCard uh, and they're considering having a, or I'm sorry, Visa, not MasterCard. Uh, they're talking to Visa about potentially having a Apple debit card that would sit in your Apple wallet and it would be part of the transfer service. So uh, we are talking earlier about um, how it takes three days for the funds to settle in your bank account. Well, if you were to use the money on a debit card, then you could spend it immediately. So let's say, you know, somebody owes you 50 bucks, they transfer you to you over Apple Pay or Apple Cash or whatever they want to call it, and then it shows up in your Apple wallet. You can wait three days for it to show up in your bank account, or you can spend it now on your Apple debit card and it's just sitting there waiting to be spent. Yeah, and, and this is actually something that Square does today. Uh, mm-hmm. For instance, I, I when I used Square, like I said this last week, I hadn't used it in a while, and so I had to go through and, and verify my existing number and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. once I'd done that, it said, do you want to have a virtual Visa card? And I said, well, sure, why not? And I was able to add that virtual Visa card that Square issued me to Apple Pay. So I can now pay awesome, with man. Apple Pay out of the Square balance that I've got there. Yeah, Square does a pretty good job on this stuff. I've always been impressed by uh, their ability to integrate, um, especially being on the Apple side, you know, to have that Apple Pay integration to put your debit card in there. It's really cool. Yeah, and there's no reason that Apple can't do the same kind of thing. Yeah, and I don't think it's going to change the game or or anything like that or be a big deal. I think that it's, it's one of those things that just makes sense for Apple to do. Well, what happens is it becomes like PayPal, where you have a PayPal balance, you can transfer to your bank account, or you can pay out of it. And so now you've got this this uh, one more thing that cements you to Apple. And it's a new method for Nigerian scammers, too. Well, how's that supposed to be? <laughs> just, I know, I know it's a joke, but I'm just trying to think, wait a minute, how, wait, how, how, <laughs> now how would they, how's, how's I'm sure work? they'll find a way. I'm sure they'll find a way. I mean, I'm I'm trying to think of the 419 email. Um, my my great uncle was a Nigerian prince who passed away and left me this secure element. Um, I will gladly split the shares out of the secure. It, it doesn't. It's not scanning <laughs> for me. <laughs> I tried. I really tried. Moving on. So this is this is one that's interesting to me. I, I've been thinking a lot and talking a lot about voice first as an interface and this progression of. Uh, you know, we used to have a book. Neil Stevenson wrote a book years ago called In the Beginning There Was the Command Line. And it talked about the move from keyboard-driven interfaces and text-driven interfaces to, to mouse-driven interfaces and graphical interfaces. And we're experiencing, right. we've, we've experienced another revolution upon that, two of them, in fact. One from mouse to touch and a second one from touch to voice. And so this story is about Apple finalizing or, or rumored to be finalizing a design of arrival to Amazon's Echo device based on Siri. The, you know, the rumor says that it would it would be, of course, competitor to Amazon Echo, that it would have Siri for the voice and AI, would have AirPlay for the connectivity and, and music transfer, as opposed to Amazon's using Bluetooth, and that it would have uh, Beats' audio technology. All of that's kind of interesting. There are some key differences that separate it from what Amazon's doing, but I, I really oh, like... You mean like space. it doesn't have a camera to judge your fashion on it, like the latest uh, Echo? Oh, the Echo Look. So Echo <laughs> Look is a $200 Amazon Echo device that you place in your bedroom. Remind uh, the, 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 where, where I said camera. So you place this internet-connected camera in your bedroom. Yeah, what could go wrong? And, and the use case justification for putting a camera in your bedroom is so that you can try on clothes in front of it and say, 
do these genes make me look fat? What could go wrong? That's that's my big joke right there. Uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> you know you're you're we had a case a couple of years ago where there were school admins who had placed spyware onto the school issued laptops to monitor their students, and this would have been okay except that the IT people were using the computers to turn on the webcams when the students were at home in their beds, in their bedrooms, which is all a very bad idea. And it turned out to be a very bad idea for for that school district and for those those admins. And this is why many people put a little piece of tape or a post-it note or, or there are even little plastic sliders made that act as lens covers for the cameras on laptops. Because putting a camera in your bedroom is is uh, potentially a bad idea. Well, I was going to say potentially a vulnerability. If you want to say it's a bad idea, that's fine, and I accept it. I was trying to. I was <laughs> it's, this, it's a bad idea. I was trying to be so so careful. <sighs> it's a bad. Apple idea. would never be so stupid to make a product like this. Uh, Apple would, however, potentially make a voice connected device that could give you the information you want from Siri, allow you to control your home kit stuff. I don't know. Add reminders, this, if add, it, add reminders and shopping lists kind yes. of things. Set appointments to your calendar. Um, and, and the cool one that Google Home does. I don't Home know that does, this will ever be. Go ahead. The cool one that Google Home does. The thing I really liked about Google Home, besides its usual kind of, of answering things, answering questions and controlling the lighting, was that Google Home understood that there was a Chromecast in the house and you could tell Google Home to play things on the Chromecast. So you could say, you know, Okay, Google, play Stranger Things from Netflix on my TV, on my Chromecast name mm-hmm. TV, basically, and and it would go ahead and kick off the episodes directly from the voice. I liked that a lot, and so one of the things that I'm hopeful and that I, I wanted Amazon to get this together too, right? They have the Alexa speakers, they have Alexa integrated into the Fire TV devices. There's no reason they shouldn't be able to do the same kind of interaction, but they don't. Mm-hmm. Apple should be able to have whatever visionary thing they have kick off something on Apple TV, especially since they have an understanding of what's on all of those services due to the deep search that they have for all of the TV services they run, as well as the TV app. Mm-hmm. Right? There were rumors before the Apple TV revamp a couple of years ago with Siri that... Um, that it might be this type of device and all in one thing. Um, and there's been speculation since that uh, Apple might even r- roll its router division into it. So imagine a airport, uh, extra express or airport extreme or a time capsule, um, with, uh, that plugs into your TV that serves up Wi-Fi that uh, has a speaker and a microphone to give you this kind of, uh, echo like, uh, device. I, I, I don't know if that's going to be the case. I, I see this being, if this becomes a reality, what what has been rumored here, uh, this, you know, Beats slash uh, Siri slash whatever device, I see this being kind of a, a niche thing for Apple. Um, I see it being, you know, Apple would rather sell you an iPhone. Uh, they'd rather <sighs> use Siri on your iPhone. They would rather that you, um, you know, interact with a more fully featured device rather than some headless thing that, uh, you know, is not going to do everything that you want or, or probably not even hear you right most of the time. So I, I could see this yeah. being something where they get into a market because they have to. Um, but I, I kind of like, kind of like the iPad mini, you know, it was like one of those things that Apple reluctantly got into and said, okay, well, you guys want cheaper tablets. Here you go. 
Um, and then now they've kind of given up on that market. I could see this being something where uh, for those that want to have an always-on voice device but don't have an Apple Watch on their wrist or something, um, I, I could see it being a market for that. But I don't see this being like a huge device for Apple. Well, so here's here's a good point. And, and I, I'm very frustrated when you say that, by the way. But here, here's the thing, right? Don't be Amazon, frustrated with me. <laughs> no, no. Am, Amazon made the decision that voice was going to be a big deal for them. And they, instead of keeping it in their own product, right? It was, it's, it's not something locked in echo. They are encouraging third parties to roll it into their devices. Right. In, in fact, in our story, right, we yeah. mentioned that the echo B4, which is the, uh, the successor to echo B's three version three home kit thermostat is likely yep. to have Alexa built into it. So when Amazon set out to build these things, they they didn't just offer it in you know licensed partnership kind of way with these third party manufacturers. They went ahead and posted their code on GitHub and said, if you've got a Raspberry Pi, here are the steps it, you need to take to go ahead and put an Amazon Echo speaker like thing together out of a Raspberry Pi. So everyone can do right. it. Here's the code. Go forth, have fun, build your devices. They also separately said, here's what it takes to make a skill for Amazon Echo, and you can run your own skills or you can submit it and, and have it be a part of our skill store so that you can enhance and, and augment what Echo can do for you. So they, they really made it easy to adopt. Apple, by comparison, made it relatively difficult. First of all, they require a secure chip, which costs money. For good reason. Hey, I'm not saying it's not without good reason, but, it, I, I, but I'm saying that it slows adoption. And it slows adoption because there's a cost for the chip. There's a cost for getting in on the licensing program to get the chip. And there's an engineering cost where you have to understand how to put this thing on your board. So there, there are at least three different costs for trying to implement something with HomeKit. Second of all, you, you have to go through a huge certification process. And HomeKit has been a moving target. It changed greatly between iOS 9 and iOS 10. And that caused a lot of people to have to go ahead and resubmit their devices that they they would have they they initially failed those tests right self certification kind of things so it's it's very reliable it's very secure but it's also 5% of the market and that kind of feels to me like a throwback to the days of how much market share apple had when we would say that the mac was doomed apple is doomed right that's that's a throwback to 1997 1998 mhm in terms of this segment. And so Amazon has has geared things to be as open as possible and as widespread and easy to adopt as possible. Apple has focused on what's secure and what's going to make the money. But what is the killer app for these always on things? Because it's not checking the weather. It's it's smart home stuff, right? So not necessarily. The the biggest uses for these always on kind of things is music is setting timers. You know, my, my wife shouts down, says, remind me in 10 minutes. And so I just tell the speaker, remind me in 10 minutes. And yeah, I could hold down but the yeah, home button or say, you here. could just do that. So my phone doesn't have Hey Siri unless it's uh, plugged in. So I got to hold down a home button. Ah. And the, you, you say that so there's no you, real difference, but the... Uh, the friction for digging my phone out of my top pocket and pressing down the home button is a lot greater than just saying it to the speaker that's already listening. 
don't get me wrong. If Apple makes this device, I will buy it and use it. I am a guy who is considered trying to find a way to build a headless uh, Siri-supporting Mac <laughs> around my apartment so that I can more easily uh, talk to it to control devices in my home. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking at it logically and saying that smart home devices have not really caught on in a meaningful way anyhow. Um, and so I don't think that uh, uh, this matters that much to most people. I well, do. Th- the thing that excites me more than anything about this is the mention of AirPlay in it, because AirPlay I have been a proponent of for a long time. Um, I love it. I have uh, multiple AirPlay speakers in my home, and uh, I wish that there was some form of AirPlay support built into Siri slash HomeKit. Right, but uh, there's not. Right there, there is no way to talk. You are, forgive me for interrupting, but you are a unique case. You are the guy that has AirPlay all over the house. And and I would say that there are relatively few of you. And you're saying that home automation hasn't caught on, but that's the same thing. There there are people who are out there doing home automation who are into it. And they're, they're, you're looking at them and saying there's just one of them. They're looking at you and saying there's just one of you. This is the thing about home automation is that everyone finds their way into it slightly differently. You found your way into mm-hmm. it by using lighting, right? And you eventually got you got there with the door lock. There are some people who start with mm-hmm. the door lock first, and that's all they ever need. But the value of having the the door lock is pretty huge, right? Never having to carry a set of house keys again is an awesome thing. You know, the the being able to rock up to the house and have the lights turn on as you do is a pretty awesome thing you know, rock up to the house, have the door unlock and the lights turn on and have the the temperature set when you were approaching, right? All of these things come together. And there are people who are out there doing one or two of these things that becomes two or three of these things. And when you have two or three of these things in combination with the ease of being able to tell the speaker to add the things on the shopping list to your shared shopping notes so that when you do get out to the shopping, to the grocery store with your phone and all the items that you spoke out loud are now in your list. These are things that sound like they're not worth that much, but they're nice changes. They really do improve your life. It's, it's not a one big sweeping change. It's all of these little changes together. You know, you're going to come to a point where you're going to start seeing these kinds of speakers in hotel rooms. And instead of calling room service, which is like really antiquated, you have to pick up a phone and you have to leap through a book and all this stuff. You can just tell the speaker what you want with all of your modifications or substitutions and you'll get your food. Well, I would love to see iOS 11 with support for AirPlay with Siri slash HomeKit. Um, And I would love to see this always on connected device. And I would love to see support for HomeKit on Siri on the Mac. Um, There's a lot of room for improvement here. And if there aren't meaningful improvements to Siri itself, I don't see this speaker being that valuable. Uh, But I have to think that, that there is an overhaul for Siri coming somewhere down the pike because it's really overdue. Well, and some of this is a chicken and egg problem, right? All of the the people in big data and AI say that you have to collect all of the data in order to be able to improve the AI. And Apple has had their privacy SARS in place saying, you know, here's how we go about that, right? Here's how we're going to do that without jeopardizing our customers' data. And so putting a speaker out there, it seems to me like one more way to be able to figure out how to improve Siri. You disagree with me? No. No, I think that there are, there are a number of issues uh, that, that Apple faces in, in improving it. And I think that uh, you know, th- I think that their closed platform does them no favors in that sense, like we've been talking about with the security of HomeKit, but I still prefer Apple's approach. I, d- I want to trust a company, not have my information sold, not have my cameras hacked. 
I want a platform that is going to be robust and protect against those kind of things and ensure my own privacy. So if that means slower adoption of these things that I don't really need in the first place, I'm fine with that. All right. Uh, you know, the camera hack is a good thing to bring up. The camera hack didn't require a secure chip in each unit to protect it from the camera hack. The problem with the camera hack was that there were a number of these these webcam devices that were all, and routers, there were other devices in the hack as well, but they were all made in, in China, as many things are, but they were all made with the same default password, and mm-hmm. they were all made in, with with passwords that could not be easily updated or changed. And so it became very easy for uh, a, uh, a bad actor to write a script that said, go search the web and find these devices that are answering mm-hmm. that use the same default password and, and, and basically own them and take over them and turn them into a botnet. And so the first thing you need to do is when you're making a device is make sure that the password can be changed. And the second thing that you do is that as a part of your initial setup, you require the password to be changed. And if you do Or you could just buy a home kit camera. Well, I suppose you you could, but I'm saying that, you know, that don't the, the fact that there is HomeKit doesn't make everything else also insecure by default. It means that we, we can have secure things that are outside of HomeKit. Correct. I just, you know, this whole process of going through and making sure you can change the default password on the on the, you know, uh, and the IP address on your camera is like, yeah, good luck with that. It's not the IP for, address. For the average consumer. But it's, it's just as you set up the thing, you, you plug it in, it finds it, and you just use an app on your phone to say that it's there. Great. Please enter in a password. You've now assigned a new password for the thing. It's not hard. The <laughs> You say that. Well, th- th- here, here's the issue, right? Device manufacturers are making devices that are compatible with multiple systems here, right? It's not just HomeKit. It's HomeKit and Amazon Alexa, or it's HomeKit and Amazon Alexa and Google Home, or it's Alexa and Google Home, right? It's, it's I mean, are we selling these cameras to guys who setup. want to catch the possum that's digging up their backyard, or are we selling it to a system integrator, you know? Like, the fact that you have to go in and change the password to ensure the security of your camera is insane. That's not, that's not the market for this kind of stuff. And if you want to see smart home products catch on, they have to be secure, reliable, and easy to use. And wait, you have to go wait, and make sure stop. the password can be changed on your camera. Stop, stop. You're, 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 I'm going to get a headache here in a minute because we, we, re- we reviewed the Eero routers, right? Which was the simple router, mesh router for home use. And when you're setting up the router, one of the steps is enter in a user password for this thing. Enter in, enter in the password. Create a password to admit the thing. And it was done very simply through like four steps in an app from, from plugging it in to having internet connectivity. And one of the four well, steps I'm talking was, about the D-Link hack, though. I'm talking about and the I'm saying, suing D-Link. And I'm saying that if you're going to do a camera, it's no harder to have one step out of your four steps. Plug in your camera. Oh, your app has found your camera. Please create a password. It's not as hard as you're making it out to be. This but is for normal D-Link people. The D-Link issue was not a user-facing thing. It was not for normal people. you got to look into the case. You're wrong. No, there, there you had were to a lot go in more cameras you that had were to hacked out of your than way. the D-Link camera. There were I understand, but the FC, the FTC sued D-Link for a reason because right, they didn't properly we secure about. their own cameras. We weren't talking, well, I'm talking about, about smart we were home talking products about in general. the botnet that took over all the cameras and routers that were out there. And I'm talking about I'm talking about smart home products in general and why I trust HomeKit. Okay. 
All right, I've said all I have to say on this because you know you're you're uh, setting up a password for a camera is not a system integrator thing. It can be a user facing thing. Whether or not it was in the D Link case specifically is a different thing. But expecting people to create a password is is not hard. You know, they, they in fact Apple does it when you set up a new iPhone. They ask you to create a password, don't they? Apple is experimenting with medium to long distance wireless charging. What do you think about this? Probably not happening anytime soon. So what we've got here is a patent filing. Is is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever tried wireless charging before? I don't know. Have any devices that do it? No, I don't. I, I haven't used it. Oh. I mean, I'm familiar with how the contact-based ones work, but we're talking about wireless charging here. We're talking right. about truly wireless, which is different. Yeah. So in, in the past, there have been a couple of different methods for trying to wirelessly charge things. And, and by wireless, that's meant not having to actually physically plug something into your phone. You know, whether it's been the the Qi charging that uses coils in a, in a case or the case back of the phone to match up to coils on a charging mat kind of thing. What this patent is that makes it different and unique is that it's about transferring power through the airwaves so that you don't actually have to physically place your phone on, on anything specific. Instead, what they're doing is having a transmitter and a receiver and, and wirelessly using antennae to transmit the power. And it's it's interesting. I've seen demonstrations of this. It does actually function. There, there is such a technology. It's, it's a little impractical, at least in the demonstration that I saw, but it's, it's also pretty cool. Yeah, this is something neat, but I don't think it's coming anytime soon. I think that the technology is not ready for prime time. We talked about how the, uh, the, the rumored iPhone 8 drawings seems to have a large space for potentially a wireless charging pad in the rear case. Do you think we're going to get wireless charging as part of uh, the, the iPhone 8 at all? Even if it's not yeah, this transmitter-receiver thing? You have to, is, yeah, it's not going to be the transmitter-receiver type of thing. It's going to be just a, a charging pad as an option um, for those that want to use it is really what it's going to be. I think that you know the expectation is iPhone 8 is going to have uh, contact-based wireless charging um, and then also quick charging capabilities via USB-C power uh, over a lightning connector. Right. You know, and there's we, we've reviewed one of these uh, contact-based kind of charging systems in the past. You know, we, we've, of course, you know it from your your Apple Watch as well. But uh, we had a couple of years ago some of these cases, the battery cases that had charging mats. And it turns out that it's pretty convenient for the same reason that that I was saying that it's friction to try and pull my phone out and press down the home button to say Siri do something. It turns out that mm-hmm. there's friction in in plugging in a lightning cable. That it's it's a lot easier to right. just drop your phone down on the counter and have it charge. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, for certain scenarios, you know, bedside charging, um, you know, I have a dock um, and I just prefer to have, you know, that. Um, but I could see why people would prefer, uh, you know, this type of charging. I, I mean, it, it makes sense to me. Um, I think that it's a, a logical feature for Apple to include. Um, but I think that the preferred way of charging is going to remain through a lightning cable just because it's going to be more efficient. Well, there's there's always reliability in using a cable. Right. And it's faster. Yes. So there's a story that we're talking about here that says that when Apple releases the iOS 11 later this year, one of its features may be a new music app that better showcases uh, videos. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, they're pushing uh, original video content through the Apple Music subscription um, and much like iTunes before it, the Apple Music name is proving to be rather unfortunate because uh, it's going to be more than music. 
Um, and it seems like, you know, you pay for your Apple Music subscription, you're going to get original video content, you're going to get, you know, movies and documentaries and series and all that kind of stuff that uh, Apple is working on very slowly, certainly not to the level of Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or anything like that. But um, so it would make sense for Apple to feature and give easy access to that type of content, because right now there's really no way for you to get it. Let me ask you for your opinion. Has Apple Music gotten easier to use? When we for- I don't use Apple Music. Ah, I'm asking the wrong person. I, I, I prefer to own my music, so I turn it off. I have it disabled on my phone, and I buy uh, records and download the digital codes that come with it and upload them to iTunes Match, which is now known as iCloud Music Library, $25 a year. <laughs> right. When we first started talking about Apple Music on this podcast, um, it was at least a little cumbersome to use, and then over time they refined it, but... Uh, I, uh, I I feel like one of the things that they could do each time they make a big change to Apple Music is offer another trial subscription to give people another chance to come and get reacquainted. We don't suck as much now. Well, it, it's it's not necessarily that we don't suck much as, as much now, although that that's kind of true. It's uh, that it, it's not nearly complete. You know, Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy Iofine told Bloomberg that Apple Music is nowhere near complete in my head. So I, I understand that now that it's more complete, let's see what's more complete, right? To give us a reason to come back. I um, generally like the music app on the iPhone. Um, of course, I don't have Apple Music turned on, but um, I, I wish there, there are certain things that I do miss about the way it was. Like, for example, I wish that playlists had their own dedicated little um menu or whatever at the bottom of the screen uh, they do not um, but I have a dedicated radio tab that I can, that I never use that I can't get rid of so uh, and a dedicated search tab that I don't really use so um, I think that there are certain aspects of the interface that could be refined or improved upon or made to so you could customize it um, you know I, I think back to and I think you can still do this on the iTunes store um, where you can drag and choose which items show up in the uh, tabs in the bottom of the screen. Um, I, I would like to see something like that return because I don't have a use for the radio function. I don't listen to Beats 1, uh, but it would be nice to have a dedicated tab for playlists down there for when I want to access them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as it is now, you have to tap on library and then have playlists. Yeah, and if you want to delve into your music, you tap library and then an artist. And yeah, it's just like it would be nice to have an artist tab and a playlist tab like it used to be. Mm-hmm. And I realize that's probably not for everybody. Um, but, uh, that's something that I would prefer. All right. Well, there are a number of other features that have been rumored as well, including deeper Siri integration into messages in iCloud and group video calls in FaceTime, which Mm -hmm. is uh, a favorite of mine. Yeah, I miss the old iChat video days where you. I do too. uh, I I actually, after they got rid of that, I switched over to Google Hangouts because it was much easier to do multiple participants there. We talked about this a little bit earlier, the, the notion that there's the uh, ability to have uh, wireless charging in the, uh, the iPhone 8, possibly. So I'm looking at the schematics for that now, and uh, that's a rather big charging pad. And it's interesting because it's right in the center where we saw the hole last time in, in the previous schematics that were rumored. 
What's interesting about this, this one, like I said, it contrasts with the document that came out last week, is that uh, this one comes from a, a person who is generally known for the accuracy of his leaks, and it uh, it looks somewhat credible. It's still got the uh, the vertical Which camera sense. on there. What do you think? Is this one uh, this this is one that we think is reasonably credible, or is this? I one, think that one I think this one seems plausible. I think that um, there's some truth to a lot of these. You know, some of the reports that have come out, like Bloomberg had one a few weeks ago saying that Apple is circling around a few designs, um, and that, that makes sense. You know, they they have to hedge their bets, and if they can't get certain technology to come together, um, then they're going to have to explore alternatives. Uh, that said, uh, the, they've been pretty consistent on this vertical camera. Um, and I think that makes sense uh, because if they want to do augmented reality um, capabilities to have the uh, cameras be horizontal when the phone is held uh, in landscape mode would make sense. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, that that is, seems logical to me. Um, and the, the rear home button touch ID thing is, is weird. Uh, I don't think that that is accurate. Uh, I don't think that that's going to come to be. But we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes in terms of the technology and stuff. And if Apple, for some reason, cannot integrate Touch ID into the screen, they may be forced to put it on the back. I would like to think that if they can't do it, they would just wait another year um, and say, there's no point in going with an edge-to-edge display if we can't get Touch ID on the front. But I don't run Apple, so. Nope. (laughs) Not at this time. Tell me about battery life. Yeah, so um, there's a few things that we know about the iPhone 8 battery life, supposedly, um, and some of the changes that are going to be coming, at least from the more reliable sources out there. Uh, So what's really interesting about the battery in the quote-unquote iPhone 8 is that it's rumored to be uh, a rather large battery, in fact, almost the size of the battery in the iPhone 7 Plus. And that's interesting because the iPhone 8 is going to have a uh, a form factor uh, that is expected to be closer in size to the 4.7-inch iPhone 7 and its predecessors. So it's kind of like Apple is offering the best of both worlds here with this edge-to-edge display, new design, um, and by shrinking the components inside of the phone itself, uh, they're able to cram in a, a rather massive battery into a smaller chassis. Um, and so... Uh, that is why one of the expectations is why Apple is only going to have one flagship phone this year and not a plus version and a regular version because it's kind of the best of both worlds. We're talking about a smaller phone form factor uh, with a larger display edge to edge, kind of giving you both of those. And uh, and then when you add in other things like the fact that the parts are going to be smaller, which makes them more efficient, um, and then you're switching to an OLED display, which consumes less power and is also thinner, which allows space for a larger battery, uh, you're really talking about uh, a few things coming together that could potentially put the iPhone 8 in a position to offer pretty spectacular battery life. Uh, I don't think that there's going to be any sort of like game-changing breakthrough. Uh, you know, it's not like your phone's going to last a week without you charging it, but I think that you'll find it more easy to get through a day on a single charge with this larger battery and more efficient parts in the phone itself. Right. And so what they've done here, as far as I can understand it, is that they mm-hmm. stacked batteries using the, the same kind of stacking that they're doing in the MacBook, the 12-inch MacBook, for example. But they're also using an interestingly shaped battery where 
Normally, yeah. battery packs are rectangular in shape. This one is an L-shaped battery pack design, which allows it to use more space. And taking advantage of some of the space previously occupied by the headphone jack. There you are. So as Apple shrinks parts, you know, the the main board is expected to shrink. Um, That leads to more efficient, uh, you know, processors and stuff. And and as we were talking um, a few weeks ago about how Apple making their own chips and rolling more into the system on a chip, um, this all plays into that same thing where the more Apple can cram onto a smaller little main board in there, the more they can put on the same chip even, the more efficient it becomes, the smaller the parts come, the less power it consumes, and the more powerful it gets. Uh, and that's just going to continue. Yeah. Now, I know that you like using your iPhone mm-hmm. for videography. I know that you you like doing these kinds of things. You, you especially like doing it with the drones, but... Um, you had a chance to try out a gimbal recently. Yeah, uh, is a company that launched a Kickstarter this week, and um, we don't normally cover uh, crowdfunding campaigns on Apple Insider because, well, the truth of it is they almost never ship on time and sometimes don't even do what they said they were going to do and then sometimes just run away with your money. So we've had a policy for years that we, we just don't cover these types of products because they just don't pan out. But... We do cover them if uh, the company has some sort of hardware that we can put our hands on and actually feel and see and test. Uh, and this is one of those cases. The company is called uh, Rigiet. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's R-I-G-I-E-T. Um, and so they sent us a, a prototype of their uh, camera gimbal uh, that works with uh, iPhone and other smartphones. Um, and uh, it has an app that it connects to, allows some physical controls for uh for you know adjusting things while you're shooting and all that um and i came away you know pretty generally impressed i mean it's not it's not going to replace a super high-end rig but if you're looking for smoother footage and you're shooting 4k on your iphone which is pretty crazy when you think about it um this is an affordable uh way to uh to to get some more stable footage on your phone uh right now in the kickstarter campaign if you jump in you can get uh, uh, their early bird special or whatever for 140 bucks. Uh, when they go to market, they're expecting to charge 189 at retail. Uh, if you compare that to other gimbals on the market, they're generally in the 300, $350 range if they work with your iPhone. So you're saving a few bucks here. It seems pretty good. <clears throat> and how was your experience with it? Did you? Was it easy? Yeah, it's to set pretty up? easy. Um, I, I don't want to uh, bash on it too much because this was not a review. I'm testing prototype hardware so it's not really fair yeah it's not really fair to beat up on it but i mean i I gotta say i came away pretty impressed with it um some other gimbals will only work with certain devices because they have to calibrate for the weight you know there's offsetting and all that kind of stuff Uh, this has a uh, a kind of user driven way of doing it where you have to balance it yourself uh uh before it before you turn it on so you hold it up you make sure that the phone is slid into the right spot based on what size it is and how much it weighs um and then when it's balanced you turn it on it starts working my test it leaned a little bit to the right i think that's something that could easily be fixed or it could even just have been a bug with the one unit that i have uh, but yeah, it has a joystick on it for adjusting when you're shooting, um, uh, uh, angling, you know, left and right, up and down that, that 
Uh, one of the nicer things about it too is you can actually physically move the gimbal to a position that you want and change the shooting mode. Um, and it seamlessly switches between uh, overhand and underhand shooting. So if you want to get like a low shot in transition, um, it does that very well. Uh, it can do selfies and all sorts of other stuff too. Um, you know, some people in our comments were saying you could see a lot of bouncing when you're walking around with it. I mean, it significantly cuts down on the bouncing that you would have if you're holding it by hand. It's a $180 gimbal. So I, I think that uh, uh, for the price, what you're getting, um, it's... Yeah, it's, it's, a, right. it's a gimbal. It's, it's, it's not a pretty, steady gimbal. It's pretty good. It, it gets the job done. It's cheaper than most of the stuff that's available on the market. Uh, the physical controls are great. Uh, dedicated button for, you know, taking a photo or, or starting video. Um, you can sh switch between shooting modes on it. Um, you can switch between gimbal modes with, like, follow or stay fixed or whatever, um, all without touching your phone. And really, for a lot of these products, I've tested the, the camera-focused products on an iPhone. Um, the hardware always requires some form of software or some app because it will never integrate with Apple's own camera app. And it the the software is always the, the deal breaker. It's always the Achilles heel on these things. Uh, and, and here the software was not bad. Um, I did have some issues when I was interacting with the touchscreen, like it wasn't, some of the, the touch points were a little small um, and I'd have to press a few times, but in terms of the device connecting to the app, uh, it was very quick. And in terms of the physical controls working while using uh, the device in the app, uh, it, it all came together very well. So as far as prototype hardware goes, uh, I, I was pretty impressed by it. Okay. How would you describe it to someone who's never used a gimbal before? Who doesn't even know necessarily what a gimbal uh, is for? Take your iPhone and uh, try to hold it and get uh, video footage um, just with your hands. You don't even have to be walking. You could just be standing there. Um, and if you look, you will notice uh, a lot of shaking, uh, even, even if you're... Uh, uh, you know, a, a former army sniper and you have the most steady hands on the planet, uh, it's just going to shake. That's just the nature of it. Every single little movement shows up when you're shooting. Um, and that's going to happen with pretty much any camera, honestly. Um, but especially on something as small as an iPhone where you're just kind of holding it between two fingers. Uh, when you put a gimbal on there, that kind of stuff goes away and the footage looks a lot more professional. Uh, as you move the camera around and you get your shots, um, it uh, is uh, smooth and and it looks very cinematic. Um, and that's accomplished through uh, three axis is what they call it, where it offsets the movement of your hand, uh, balances the weight of the phone and uh, accommodates accordingly based on your motion. And you're also holding a handle, which is a little more steady than pinching your phone between your fingers too, which helps. So all those things kind of come together and create a uh, experience when you're shooting that just the 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 footage is is much more smooth than it is if you're holding it in your hand. Cool, and and you know we we know that photography and videography is a focus of Apple's. So having these kinds of accessories out there is going to make that. Uh you know, make, make your footage really show off. What and Apple does make. have stuff that, that does this in the iPhone itself, especially if you have the iPhone 7 Plus. Um, they have what's called optical image stabilization in there, which is uh, the lens within the camera actually physically moves to offset for your hand motion. And it uses, uh, you know, gyroscopes and images on the screen and some advanced algorithms to, to accommodate for that. But when the lens is so small on a camera phone, there's only so much really that it can do. Um, so it helps, but it's never going to give you the kind of quality that a gimbal like this is going to give you. Yeah. You know, I've used uh, Instagram has an app called yeah, Hyperlapse, cool. which what they're doing is they're, uh, I love it. They're, they're using 
the accelerometer data and matching that in, into a timeline with the uh, video data and then cropping and moving the footage around within their small crop to, to counteract the shake. And they do a really good job of it. But the d- downside to using an app like that or, or a software-based approach like that is that it has post-processing time. After you take the video, it has to go through and and make those And edits. you lose video uh, content too. You're cropping. You're, you're cropping. You, know, you, you can do that too. And yeah, in, even in iMovie or in Final Cut, um, you know, Apple has stabilization software uh, in there where it analyzes the image and tries to keep uh, certain things in focus. But even that is very imperfect because as the camera moves around, things lose focus and get blurry. And so while software can try to accommodate for that, it can't change the actual quality of the image. And so if things are blurry because of bouncing around and, and or getting out of focus or whatever, it starts to look weird. Uh, and it, it, it's a it's a potential solution, but it's never as good as uh, hardware is going to be. Yeah. Yet. Yet. Maybe we'll get there. <laughs> software eventually eats <laughs> the world. Well, it does. So a- Apple has hired a made, made a several hires. They've made some hires from NASA, the National uh, Aeronautics and Space Administration. Well, it's not like you got anything to do in that anymore. So, <laughs> well, so they they've hired a fellow named Dr. Jeff Norris, who's an augmented and virtual reality specialist, who uh, founded a missions operations innovation office at JPL, Merchant Propulsion Labs, and. He's working on projects to bring augmented reality to the masses at Apple, mm-hmm. which is which is pretty cool. Um, there, you know, there are a number of augmented reality efforts at Apple that we've we've talked about. Uh, it's it's interesting because there's a number of people at Apple working on this, and and when you talk about someone coming from NASA to do it, it it means that they're certainly well qualified. They also have an interest in software quality. Um, and you know, at, at the JPL Ops Lab, Norris was working on developing human system interfaces. So using augmented reality, virtual reality to control robots and manipulate things with tablet interfaces. Um, we're, we're still not sure what he's going to be doing at Apple precisely, but we know that there's this growing interest. Tim Cook's mm-hmm. made it very clear, right? Yeah, and, and when Tim Cook says he's interested in I something think- uh you know, it's usually a sign of something to come. You know, years before the Apple Watch was announced, Tim Cook said that he finds the wrist to be a very interesting place for devices. So um, I, I think that that's part of their game is to tease a little bit and uh, uh, kind of uh, send the herd in one direction. Whether or not it's misdirection, we will find out. But I think that, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And it's pretty clear that they're working on some form of augmented reality. As I've said before, I don't think that this is something that uh, is going to turn into some geeky glasses that you're going to wear. I think this is more of a uh, platform that Apple can create with the devices that they already sell uh, and give the ability for their own apps and also for third-party developers to create uh, unique and interesting ways of uh, using augmented reality. So what we were talking before about uh, this new Amazon Echo that will, you know, give you take your photo and make fashion recommendations or something. That seems kind of silly to me, but I could see an augmented reality application for fashion on an iPhone, for example, uh, being pretty neat or interior decorating or, or stuff like that, where you can uh, start to project things onto a person or a place um, and give you a feel for what it will, would look like in the real world if you were to 
buy that outfit or, or buy that couch or whatever, um, see how well it fits. Uh, I think that that uh, becomes a very interesting application and it's augmented reality in not maybe the, the game way that uh, people have been thinking about for years and not necessarily the headset way people have been thinking about and more of a uh, interactive dynamic way that you would have on a screen like your iPhone. You know, they're, they're, when I think about the clothing thing specifically, so years ago, Levi's had a thing where you'd walk into a booth in the store and cameras would scan you and then tell you what the right mm-hmm. size, uh, you know, 501s was to wear. And then they'd place the order for you and your custom jeans would arrive right. kind of thing. And so now we've got Amazon who wants to sell clothing, right? They sell a lot of clothing. So they're placing a camera to tell you what looks good on you and recommend stuff to you. Uh, eventually, it's like you say, you know, you could, you could use... The, the cameras or devices to superimpose right. things upon you. What's interesting to me here is is sort of this progression that we see, right? Apple says something's interesting. And whether it gets integrated into a device we already have or it becomes a new device, at some point it changes to become a hobby. And at some point after it's a hobby, number of years pass, it becomes a business. I, I don't know that it's necessarily a business for Apple other than the sense that they could potentially roll it into their made for iPhone program with hardware accessories for the people that really do want to have geeky headsets and stuff. Uh, but I, I think that these are just things where if the tools to create augmented reality are simple and powerful for iOS in a way that they are not on, say, Android, uh, that gives Apple a potential leg up on the competition and can tie people into their ecosystem more from a developer perspective and also from a user perspective because people want those apps. So I, I don't know that, again, I don't see Apple making hardware or even trying to necessarily profit from this in a direct way. I think that it just kind of makes it a more cohesive platform for everything that you could ever want to do on your phone. Going back to, to this notion that they hired uh, Dr. Norris from JPL, from, from NASA, there are other former NASA engineers also on Apple's roles now. Uh, there are four ex-NASA engineers who've joined mm-hmm. Project Titan. They're building up and uh, and really kind of gung-ho on this car project now in a way that we haven't seen before because now they're at a point where uh, the paperwork has been filed with the California DMV and so they have to start disclosing information. So this was an interesting story to me uh, from a journalism perspective because we got our hands on the uh, PDF that was filed late last week uh, with the DMV um, and we posted it uh, on our website. Um, we redacted, you know, you know, you go through and you do the typical thing where you uh, find any information that maybe they didn't redact and you may not want it out in the public just to protect people's privacy. So we went through and removed addresses and locations and things like that um, just out of courtesy. Um, but I guess even that redacting was not enough for the DMV, who, by the way, are the ones that put out this document. It's a public document. Uh, so they reached out to us and wanted us to remove the names as well. Uh, so we said, sure. And we removed the pages with the, the names of the engineers there. Um, and But it turns out that some of those names that run that list are people that used to work for NASA. So now that's kind of out in the wild because the DMV couldn't redact the information to the extent that they wanted to why they would need to redact people's names i don't really know it's not like you know it's not like it's not like it like you know it's their address or their phone number or something but anyhow uh so yeah we know that uh whatever they're doing whether it's self-driving car software or they're building in a full-fledged car or whatever it is uh, they have some pretty high caliber talent over there at apple not surprising Right. And the, the th- sorts of things that I've been working on are three, detection of 3D objects, motion planning algorithms, um, and also uh, 
Testing. Yeah, they're the kind of things that you would expect with a self-driving car. Um, you know, there's all kinds of, of obstacles on the road. You know, even if we get to a point where all cars on the road talk to one another, uh, they still have to avoid objects because of things like pedestrians and road hazards and whatever else. So uh, that kind of technology is going to be integral to self-driving cars to uh, be able to adapt, think on the fly, and and make safe, evasive maneuvers without uh, potentially causing danger for others. One of the things that's always interested me about NASA is their focus on minimizing mm-hmm. bugs in software because you know you're you're putting people up into space and they can't just pull over on the side of the road and open the window for fresh right. breath of fresh air as it were so yeah this is it's uh you know I, i've been a nasa fan for a long time so looking at this kind of thing and seeing that focus and and uh you know that that concentration on bug-free software is, is really interesting when it comes to. It's exciting. It's uh, it's going to be real interesting to see where this goes uh, and what Apple decides to do with it. But I mean, they're they're clearly committed. This is not something they're walking away from. Yeah, and a year ago we were talking about this, and it was it was uh, Shane who used to be on the podcast telling us that he would bet money that there was no way that Apple would actually ever. Produce and they may not. And we still don't know. We we still don't know, but certainly. They're putting the effort forth to do something interesting here. Yeah, and you could see potentially an area where they just decide that building the car itself isn't worth it. Um, and maybe that's something that they want to do further down the road. You know, maybe maybe the self-driving car software is going to be the Motorola rocker uh, to the eventual iPhone that is the Apple car. Uh, who knows? But, um, well... I would say they've already opened the door for getting into yeah. the car with CarPlay. I mean, the the first wedge into the car was uh, back in, what, 2003 or 2004 with uh, Alpine, where they first got the made-for-iPod right. car stereo. And they had a large amount of uptake on getting made-for-iPod into cars. And now they've got CarPlay in with all of the major manufacturers, except Toyota, I think. And uh, having having crossed that bridge... It's not a big step to, to bring the self-driving functions after that, right? You use CarPlay as the wedge. I, I mean, I guess infotainment system is a little different than a car operating system, though. Well, infotainment systems tend to have a lot of telematics right, in them yeah. anyway, right? For the OEM stuff, you, you have control your windows, control your air conditioner stuff through the screen. It's, it's not knobs right. anymore, right? So... Putting, putting telematics and in-car and self-driving together mm-hmm. is not a big stretch. So if you're a small business owner who struggles with tax stuff, don't stress, because freaking out and burying your head in the sand will not solve your problems come tax time. What will help is bringing FreshBooks into your world. FreshBooks is the ridiculously easy-to-use cloud accounting software that's made for people who can't stand doing their taxes. It will transform the way you handle your taxes because FreshBooks keeps all your cash flow details in one place, so you know exactly what invoices you sent, who's paid you, and what your income is. And their mobile app allows you to take pictures of your receipts and organizes them for later, which makes claiming expenses a breeze. You can even set up FreshBooks to import expenses directly from your bank accounts. It's everything you need to stay completely zen come tax time and not panicked. For a free 30-day trial, go to freshbooks.com forward slash Apple Insider and enter the code Apple Insider in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's freshbooks.com forward slash Apple Insider and enter the code Apple Insider in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Tell me about 
the Apple Watch. The Apple Watch turned two years old this week. Uh, two years since it launched, not since it was announced. Uh, you'll recall that it was announced about six months before it launched because it took some time to get the platform out. Um, but yeah, um, two years on, um, I wrote a little piece just kind of explaining how the platform has evolved. When Apple first introduced it, I don't even think they knew what it was going to be or how it was going to be received. Uh, they certainly thought that it could be a new gold rush for developers, you know, on the App Store, creating these apps for your wrist. It turns out that uh, a lot of apps that may work on a phone don't really work well on your wrist, aren't really necessary. Uh, the side button was originally dedicated to quickly drawing little scribbles to other people with Apple Watches. Uh, that was unceremoniously dumped last year. Uh, fall and now with watchOS 3 it's just an app dock which again makes a lot more sense uh, they got rid of the um, uh, glances view as well and replaced that with the app dock uh, they have a control center for quick access to uh, uh, you know adjusting settings and and, and uh, things like that um, and you know switching between watch faces but really uh, it's focused as a device that uh, uh, it tracks your fitness um, and it uh, uh, it gives you notifications and makes it so you can keep your phone in your pocket. And then things like uh, Apple Pay only require two button taps, very quick. Uh, hey Siri uh, is done, oh, all my devices are turning on now, uh, is done without um, having to interact with the device, without having to press any buttons. So uh, the, the point of the piece really was the Apple Watch succeeds at tasks where you don't really have to interact with it very much. Uh, the fitness stuff throughout the day sends you alerts, knows when you're standing, knows when you're uh, more active, um, you're completing your rings. Uh, you don't have to do anything. Even if you're working out, you press a button and then you get back to it later. It measures your heart rate. It does all that stuff. Uh, uh, using Siri, uh, you don't have to press a button. Um, you know, all, all these things that it does very well uh, require very little interaction with the device. And uh, even the notifications, you just glance down at your wrist, it pops up, you decide whether or not you want to interact with it, and then you just get back on with it and you don't have to look at your phone or check anything like that. So it's very convenient and, and I think that's where the Apple Watch succeeds and where it's really finding its place is as this device that uh, makes it so you don't have to pick up your phone or do anything and, and makes it easy to interact with your devices in a, in a seamless and simple way. You know, when... It, when it was first introduced, it felt to me very much like no one, including Apple, knew exactly right. why you should have one. They knew all the things it could do, and they left it up to you to figure out which mm -hmm. one applied to you, where for all of other the other Apple devices, they told you exactly what it was for and why you should have one. And they've, they've sort of taken their time trying to find its way. I think they're, they're a little closer because they're talking about sport and health now. I don't know what I would but, say they've uh, taken their time. I mean, you've had three major different platforms for it in two years right and 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 two years to to refine it to figure out what it's for and and the hardware the anyway, hardware has it's mostly stayed the same which is you know uh, you know you look at the second generation version yes the only thing that they've changed there really is they got away from the fashion focused stuff uh, and they're no longer selling ten thousand dollar and up edition uh, models they now have a, it's like twelve hundred dollars for the ceramic edition model uh, and i think that apple realized that the fit the fashion part of it they thought was gonna be a bigger deal than it was um, wasn't that big of a deal, but to Apple's credit, they've been able to go back to the drawing board um, and refine it and continue to improve it in ways. And I think it, it, it's a very relevant platform for them. Yes. So what do you like most about using your Apple Watch? Uh, years in? It's great for running with GPS and having the music on it and going completely wireless with my W1 headphones. I absolutely love that. 
notifications are great. Um, you know, we talked a little earlier about uh, 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 you know having an always-on device to control smart home accessories. That is my Apple Watch. It's on my wrist. I can talk to it. I can give it commands. I can invoke Siri without pressing a button. Um, and I use it all the time for Apple Pay. Um, if I get a cab, all the cabs in New York City um, have Apple Pay support. I just press the button twice. Don't have to pull my phone out of my pocket. Bam, I'm paid. I'm out of the cab. I'm good to go. Um, and I think that uh, between fitness, notifications, Siri, and Apple Pay, those are really the the, the pegs on, upon which the platform uh, is really going to stand. Well, that brings us to the close of another perfectly good episode of Apple Insider. Neil, where can people find you on you the internet? You can find me on Twitter at thisisneil, N-E-I-L, and you can read my stuff on Apple Insider. And I'm Victor Marks, and you can find me at vmarks on Twitter. And also, you can find me this Monday at Adorama Live at 6 p.m. And we hope to see you there.